Sorry about that one. Right, we're ready now. Psalm 55 and verse 22. One verse of scripture, and we're going to be delving into this specific verse, which says, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Let's open in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this verse of scripture. We know that we come with burdens often, and we pray, Lord God, that you will show us how to deal with them, but also that you'll be our encouragement through this time. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Psalm 55 was written by King David from a place of emotional hurt, from a place of deep pain and agony. And it's safe to say that everybody in this room has at some point been hurt. We identify with these words as we will just read down from verse 1 in Psalm 55, where it says here, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my supplication. Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and make a noise. He says, please, God, be present in this situation. Have you ever prayed that? Then in verse 3, he says, Because of the voice of mine enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. He says, I feel like everyone's against me. I feel like the world is against me. Verse 4, he continues by saying, My heart is sore pained within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. He says, I am in great emotional turmoil, and at times I even fear for my life. In verse 6 and 7, it says this. Um, Sorry, I missed one there. In verse 4 and 5. It says, the terrors of death have fallen upon me, and fearfulness and trembling have come upon me, and horror hath overwhelmed me. And then it continues by saying, in verse 6, And I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then would I fly away and be at rest. Lo, then would I wander far off and remain in the wilderness. He says, if only I could escape this situation by some means, if only I could just run away and leave it all behind, I would do that. I would fly off into the desert with wings like a dove. And, and we've been there, haven't we? If only I could just run away from this burden. If only I could just do that. Verse 8 says, I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. He says, I feel like I'm just being knocked to and fro by the winds. I feel like I'm just being blown this way and that way. Verse 9 says, Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. And that's a very desperate plea for God to just do something in his situation. Even if it means just destroying them, please deliver me from this situation. I long for God to just bring me out of this hurt. Verse 10 and 11 says, Day and night they go about it upon the walls thereof. Mischief also and sorrow are in the midst of it. Wickedness is in the midst thereof. Deceit and guile depart not from her streets. It says my pain is relentless. Just day and night it's coming over me. Day and night. And on top of this, it's public. Everybody knows about it. And that only multiplies my pain. And verse 12 down to 14, it says, For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it 
he that hated me, that did magnify himself against me, then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide and mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked unto the house of God in company. He says, I've been betrayed. I've been deeply hurt by someone I've trusted wholeheartedly. And I wonder, do you identify with that pain? With some of that pain there? As he just dishes it out verse by verse and says over and over again, I'm hurting. I'm hurting, I'm pain, I'm sorrow. It's day and night, it's relentless and the burdens are just knocking me to and fro and weighing me down. Then maybe you have a burden upon your heart also. And God speaks down through the ages in Psalm 55 and verse 22 and says to you that you should cast your burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous, to be moved. Now there are two people I want you to see in this verse this morning. And those two people are the person who casts the burden and the person who sustains the burden. Very simply, those two people. So first of all, we're going to look at the person who casts the burden. Now it's obvious from the verse that the person who casts the burden is the person with the burden weighing upon their hearts. That stands to reason logically. But I feel it would really benefit us to just dig deeper into this verse, to look at some scriptural examples of this, and to truly understand exactly what is meant by this verse and exactly what needs to be done by the burden burden carrier. It will benefit us to see exactly just what is cast. Now the word burden in the Hebrew is actually a very interesting word. You know, I just, from first glance, thought that it just meant that it's a heavy load that weighs one down. But this is the only time this Hebrew word is used in the Old Testament. Now if you think about how many times the word burden is used in the Old Testament, especially in the prophets, when it's the burden of the word of the Lord against this person, or the burden that I'm bearing, or the burden that I'm carrying, that just this one word, burden, this is the only time it's used, shows that it has specific significance. And it literally means a lot or a portion that is given to somebody a lot or a portion that's given to somebody, or simply you could render it a gift. A gift. Now, this must cause us to stop and ask the question, wait there. How in the world can my trials and my pain that I'm, being, I'm, I'm experiencing right now be a gift from God, from his divine providence? Is God against me that he causes my heart to sink within me? Is God... Uh, against me? Does he take pleasure in dishing out that suffering personally to me? Now when we are hurting, it's the most natural instinct to want us to just go away. To want it to just depart from us, to flee from us with the wings of a dove like he says here. But by wishing it away, we miss the bigger picture of the work the Lord is doing in our life through our trials and our pain. Turn me to 1 Samuel chapter 5. 1 Samuel chapter 5. This is the account of Hannah, who was barren. But notice the word in a verse 
5 to 7. It says here we have 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 5. Um, got the right verse there. Sorry. I'm sure that's not the right verse. 1 chap sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 5. Down to verse 7. And then it says there, But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. But notice this wording, But the Lord had shut up her womb. And again, in, uh, and again, in verse 6 it says, And her adversary also provoked her sore. She was in a lot of pain and distress for, because of this. Not only because she was barren, but she was being taunted over it. And it says there again in verse 6, uh, For to make a fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. Again, the Lord did that. And then verse 7 it says, and, he did so, and, and as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. The Lord had shut up her womb. The Lord had given her this gift. And it just caused heartache and distress. And then we see the bigger picture Because it's always nice to look on it when we see down the line and we know what's going to happen in this passage. But when you're in the pain and distress, it hurts. But we see the bigger picture when this desperation causes us to throw ourselves down at the mercy of the Lord. And to say, if you give me this child, I will vow him unto your service. And to watch him become the man that he becomes. To watch him grow up into a prophet in Israel, the prophet Samuel, whose name is on this book here. And you could say to Hannah, if you knew that all along, would it be worth it? And she would say, most certainly it would. But not in the, not in the pain and the distress. We don't see that far down. We don't see the bigger picture. So we ask ourselves again, what exactly are we casting upon the Lord? And the answer is, it's his gift that is given us whereby we might grow in grace and learn to trust him more deeply than ever before. It's that gift that is given us that we might be desperate for him, for a closer relationship with him, for to know him deeper, that we might even commit those that we love to the service of the Lord because of it. James chapter 1 verse 2 to 4 says it like this. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work. Why? That ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So we've considered what we cast, and now we will look at how to cast. How to cast I want you to understand that the Lord gives us this burden, not so that we will stumble and fall, which is sometimes how we feel, that he's casting this obstacle before me, just waiting for me to trip over it. But that's not the case. He gives us that burden so we recognise that it's too heavy for us to bear and that we would cast, we would literally throw it upon the Lord and say, please carry our burdens for us. While my wife and I was at the hospital, leading up to the birth of Ezra, 
we had uh, the midwife recommend some stuff. We had some friends recommend some stuff. And it was all to do with baggage. <laughs> the, the midwife said, you're going to need a bag for your wife full of clothing. Some for yourself. And, you, and you're going to need a bag for the baby and for all that he needs and his clothing. And then people around you said, oh no, you're going in for an induction. You could be there for a long, long time. So, so then that person said to us, take loads of snacks. So we had a bag full of snacks, okay. We had the, all those snacks and we were all going to eat them. And lady was like, there's too many snacks here. So we took them out. But then we took the rest of the snacks. And then we had the handbag and our personal items. And what I didn't realise is that in the hospital they take you from room to room for every little thing. Every time you go through a, step, a phase of something, it's a new room. And it's new people. And it's a new ward. So we got there, and we go, from, we go from the reception into the induction suite. And guess what pregnant women don't do? They don't carry bags. <laughs> so I'm, I'm there with two hands thinking, I'm going to carry three bags. <laughs> so, so sometimes I was going back and forth, sometimes the staff helped me. But that's what my wife needed. She needed someone to carry the burdens. Because you couldn't do it by yourself. So there I was, carrying the burdens, walking side by side. And isn't that the picture of what the Lord does for us? That there we are, we can't carry the burdens. And we say, Lord, just take all these. And he carries them as he walks with us. He walks with us from each room to room, as it were. From one, one step to the next step. And as the trials grow deeper, he's still there, room by room, ready to take the burdens and to carry them down the path of life. Now for the lost man looking from the outside, they only see the individual going through some unbearable trial. And they ask, how is that person coping? How is he coping? How, how is she coping? But what they don't see is that we have an invisible God standing right beside us, carrying our burdens. And when that person comes to ask you, how do you have the strength to stand? How do you have the ability to smile? How do you have peace in this tragedy? You can say with confidence and with full assurance that you have a burden-bearing God with you every step of the way. So we've considered the person who casts. And now we turn our attention to the person who sustains. Uh, the person who sustains. Cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. If we are the people who cast, it's clear from the verse itself that the Lord is the one who catches that burden to sustain it. Now sustain is another interesting word and it means literally to measure out and to provide food. To measure something out and to provide it. And that's exactly what the Lord does for us. He measures out enough grace we need to get us through the trial. He measures it out and gives us exactly what we need to be victorious over this burden. And there are many ways the Lord sustains us. And I'd like to just take, it, take the time to look at a few scriptural examples. So there's going to be some flicking, but I'm sure you'll be uh, just fine with that. So 2 Chronicles chapter 32 is where we go to flick through first. We're going to see that the Lord sometimes sustains us through direct deliverance in Hezekiah's example. 
2 Chronicles chapter 32. Two Chronicles chapter 32, picking up our reading in verse 17. And now the background of this passage is that King Hezekiah has been to Jerusalem being sieged by the Assyrian army. And Hezekiah throws everything that he has upon the Lord. And it says here that he wrote letters, and that is not Hezekiah, but King Sennacherib of Assyria. Is the one writing these letters. So we start in verse 17. He wrote also letters to rail on the Lord God of Israel and to speak against him, saying, As the gods of the nations and of other lands have not delivered their people out of mine hand, so shall not the God of Hezekiah deliver his people out of mine hands. Then they cried with a loud voice in the Jews' speech unto the people of Jerusalem that were on the wall to affright them and to trouble them that they might take the city. And they spake against the Lord, the God of Jerusalem as against the gods of the people of the earth which were the works of the hands of men. And verse 20, And for this cause Hezekiah the king and the prophet Isaiah the son of Amos prayed and cried to heaven. And the details of that are actually in uh, 2 Kings, and it's a wonderful prayer of faith. But we'll continue in verse 21, and it says, And the Lord sent an angel, which cut off all the mighty men of valour, and the leaders and captains in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned with shame of face to his own land, and when he was coming to the house of his God, they that came forth of his own bowels slew him there with the sword. Now, don't we all just love reading a Bible account like this? When Hezekiah just takes his problem in letter form right to the Lord. And he spreads it out before him and says, look at this burden I'm dealing with. Look at this problem that's before me. And the Lord just immediately takes it away in one day. Now, that's certainly my preferred method of sustenance. I don't know about you. But that's not always how it works, is it? You know, it would be great if every time we brought something to the Lord, he was just like, done. But sometimes the Lord has other plans and he wants us to wait patiently upon him. Sometimes he has lessons for us to learn and they take time. Sometimes he needs us to shine as an example of faith to encourage other believers or to be a witness to the lost of what a true faith looks like. And sometimes, like Job of old, it's just to glorify God's name by saying, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. But in all, we need to recognise that God knows what's best. And that's why when often we petition God and we say, please God, remove this burden, don't we often say after? And Lord, if this burden continues, may you give me the strength to persevere through it uh, as I walk with you, and may you give me the grace to grow through it. Because we recognise that it isn't always God's plan to take everything away just like that. Sometimes the Lord deems it fit that the burden remains just that little while longer. And many times we struggle with burdens because we prayed once 
And the Lord didn't take it away. And we thought, I prayed about that once. And it was still here. What's going on? Why me, God? What's going on here? Why isn't it been taken away straight away? It, oh, God, are, are you real? Are you there? Are you listening to me? And God's there. He wants us to depend upon him. It's wonderful when the Lord provides deliverance immediately in one day. But we need to be ready to embrace the burden should the Lord allow it to continue. We must remember Paul and his thorn in the flesh. And he besought the Lord three times and two were received with silence. And on the third time the Lord responded to him. But the first two times he was silent. And the Lord just left the thorn in. Now if you think about that, he says it's a thorn in the flesh. If you've got a thorn in the flesh, like a literal thorn, it hurts, it throbs, right? It throbs, right? Even if it's just a little splinter. You're thinking about it every day, like I want to get this out. And it's painful, it's uncomfortable. Sometimes if it's something significant, it might ruin your confidence or bring bouts of depression. It might make you tired, it might hinder you from what you want to do. And above all, you just want it getting rid of. And then we remember how Jesus responded after the third request. When he said, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. It's not always what we want to hear, is it? But there's a lot of truth in that. And he says, though I leave the phone in, I've given you enough grace. I've measured it out. I've given it to you to sustain you through this. I've given you enough strength to persevere on through it. And it says there, his strength is made perfect in weakness. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. But here's how it works. The weaker you are, the stronger God may show himself. So how does Paul respond to that? He says this, continuing on in that verse in 2 Corinthians. He says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That's the right response. That's the right attitude. The weaker I am, the stronger he may show himself. The more infirmities that I bear, the more power I receive from on high. And as John Baptist would say, the more I decrease, the more he increases. And with an attitude like that, no burden will ever be able to conquer your heart. So we've seen that sometimes God sustains us by taking the burden away immediately, like Hezekiah. And sometimes God leaves the thorn in and lets it just dwell there a little longer while he teaches some lessons. Um, and he sustains us through it, like Paul. But God also sustains us another way, and that's through helpers. We turn to Numbers chapter 11. God sustains us through bringing helpers alongside us. Numbers chapter 11. And it says there in verse 4, And the mixed multitude that, that was among them fell a lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, 
Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. And down to verse 10 of Numbers chapter 11. And Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was greatly kindled. Moses also was displeased. And and Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servants? And wherefore have I not found favour in thy sight, that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? Have I conceived all this people? Have I begotten them that I should say unto me, Carry them in thy bosom as a nursing father beareth the sucking child unto the land which thou swearest unto their fathers? Whence should I have flesh to give unto all of this people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. And verse 14, I am not able to bear all this people alone because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, Kill me, I pray thee, out of, out of hands. If I have found favour in thy sight, let me not see my wretchedness. And that's a very desperate prayer. How is the Lord going to respond to that? Verse 16, And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee there, and I will take of the Spirit which is upon thee, and will put it upon them. And they shall, what? Bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou bear it not thyself alone." Moses cast his burden upon the Lord and the Lord provided 70 helpers to come alongside him and to help him bear his burden. You know, I visited with Peggy on Tuesday and we know that she has this burden that she is carrying. We all know that, that she's struggling with that cancer just before she started the chemotherapy. She's always in wonderful spirit. She's a wonderful lady. She's got great faith in God. But I tell you what, she was telling me about she was telling me about the amount of helpers that have drawn alongside her through this time. She had friends, she had family, but she also had the Church of God there supporting her through that all. And that's how it should be. You see, some people we might look at them and they might not have many friends, or they might not have many family. But they should have the church of God, shouldn't they? They should have the church of God to call upon them, to support them every step of the way. I mean, what what are we doing here if we don't have our eyes open enough to see the pain of another person? Surely at least one of us should see it, even if they try to keep it to themselves. Surely one of us will see the pain and reach out to them to extend that helping help hand. So sometimes that that burden might be physical, especially when it comes to the elderly, the sick and the widowed. James chapter 1 verse 27 says this about pure religion. It says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, 
to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. And it continues on, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. But to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. To bear their pain with them. Sometimes those burdens may be emotional or spiritual in nature. And then we can consider Galatians chapter 6 verse 2, which says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. What, what is that law? It's the law of love given by Jesus himself when he says in John 13, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. How? As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. You see, Jesus foresaw you drawing alongside the burden bearer to lighten the loads. Jesus foresaw you providing those uplifting words to that person. Jesus saw you reassuring that person that you are praying for them. And here's the thought that you specifically today could be the answer to somebody's prayer as they cast their burden upon the Lord. That you specifically could be that answer You specifically could be the one drawing alongside them like they did with Moses. There were 70 drawing alongside to bear the burden with them. And we need to be willing and open to the idea of that and willing to step up if that is what the Lord needs of us. However, if you are the one carrying the burden, then don't be afraid to make it known because there's people here that will support you through it. The proverb says that a burden shared is a burden halved. And, we, and you should pray that the Lord will lead you to the right personal people to share that burden with so they may support you through that time of trouble. So we've seen that God sustains us through immediate deliverance, through sustained grace and through the help of others. And now I want you to see that God also sustains us through specifically providing his strength through his own person. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. Now this is the Bible account just following Elijah on Mount Carmel when he defeats hundreds of worshippers of Baal in a showdown of who, is, who has the true God on their sides. And of course Elijah won because he has the true God on his side. It's as simple as that. But after that he was weary, he was exhausted, he was tired and he needed rest. And in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 1, it says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life, as the life of one that of them by tomorrow, about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life for I am not better than my father's. You see, he could not bear his burden any longer. He ran, he sat under a tree and he said, Lord, just take it away from me, take it my life if that's what it is, just remove it from me. 
He was completely worn out. He was feeling like he didn't have enough support around him. And he said, Lord, please take my life. And if the Lord granted that request, it would have been a sorry day indeed, wouldn't it? But I want you to see how delicately and lovingly the Lord actually dealt with Elijah through this burden. Verse 5, continuing on, says, And then he lay and, what? Slept under a juniper tree. You see, that prayer of desperation, the Lord could have said, well, What are you talking about, Elijah? That's not the way Christians do it, or our believers do it. That, that's, not the way, that's not the way of the, of the scriptures. That's not the attitude you should have. Did he come rebuking him like that? No, he said, you just rest a while, Elijah. And you just let him rest. And then, it says, Behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. See, the Lord, the next thing he did was to strengthen him through food. He said, now you've had a bit of a sleep. Arise and here's some food. And the Lord provided that food for him. It says, it says there, and he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid himself down again. So after he eats, does the Lord now say, now you're ready? No, he doesn't. He actually says, and now have another sleep. Let's have some more rest. <laughs> you see, the Lord is preparing him and enabling him for the next task but but sometimes it's not all about doing sometimes you just need the lord's rest so then we see then after this happens in verse 7 and the angel of the lord came again the second time and touched him and said arise and eat <laughs> you get where i'm going with this you see, you see we, we read over all this thinking, okay, let's just carry on. But wait there, look how patient the Lord is with him after that prayer. Look how, look how much the Lord is actually ministering to him and strengthening him. And bearing in mind, he's just come over a famine, right? So, so I don't know where they're getting this food from, but the Lord's providing it, right? But there you go. And he gives the reason. He says, arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee. See, sometimes we think the Lord doesn't understand, but he does understand. And the Lord said, you have a sleep, you have an eat. You have a sleep, you have another eat. And then I'll tell you what you need to do. And he arose, verse 8, and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat. Forty days and forty nights under Horeb, the mount of God. So then there's, an, there's another forty days of walking there before the Lord actually specifically says anything to him other than the angel just saying, arise and eat. And then... Elijah is prepared to receive the next task, the next message, and the Lord speaks to him through a still small voice. Elijah reached out to the Lord, exhausted from his burden, and the Lord answered, not in the way that he prayed, but by strengthening Elijah for 40 days and 40 nights until he was ready to get back on the front lines of the battle once again. The Lord is our strength. And sometimes when we don't know what we want and we don't know what to pray and we're coming to the end of ourselves that the Lord knows best. And no matter what we say, the Lord will give us exactly what we need. So just cry out to the Lord and say, please help. I don't know what to ask for, but I need something. I'm struggling with this burden. Please give me, give me your strength. And the Lord will hear the cry of your broken hearts 
and be ready to strengthen you in the days ahead. So wherever God carries your burden like Hezekiah through immediate deliverance, wherever it's like Paul through sustaining grace, wherever it's like Moses through sending helpers uh, to give, or, through, or like Elijah through um, giving encouragement and strength for the tasks ahead, what is sure is that God is at work when we throw our burdens on him and leave them there to deal, for him to deal with in his own perfect timing and goodwill. Which brings us to the last point of the sermon, the results of sustenance. Again, in, in uh, Psalm 55, verse 22, the latter part of that verse says, he shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. The Lord promises the person who casts the burden upon him that they shall never be moved. Now, the, the idea behind that word, moved, is obviously that of stability. Is they're not going to be um, shaken, they're not going to be wavering, they're not going to be slipping, they're not going to be carried off course, they're not going to move, they're going to be rooted and grounded. And, that, and when it comes to bringing these truths alive, I believe it's always the best way to just go to the Bible to shed light upon itself. How can we understand this in the way that God intended us to understand it? And there's two specific examples I would like to draw your attention to, and that is the rock or the foundation, spoken of by the Lord Jesus Christ when he says, if we build our lives on him as the rock, the wind and the waves will not cause our lives to come crashing down because we're founded upon a rock. And the next example is the tree of Psalm 1, where the tree is rooted and grounded so it cannot be moved. And though when the wind blows, it looks like the tree's bending at times, after the wind passes, it still stands firm and moved. And those are the two examples that I would like you to consider as we as believers are rooted and grounded in Christ and we cannot be moved. So, so we'll read those verses there. So in, in Matthew chapter 7, in verse 24, you can turn there if you want, but I'll read them to you. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24 says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, Jesus speaking, of course, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And notice verse 25, And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house. They are the trials of life. And it found not. That's the summary of it. Why? Because it was founded upon a rock. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. Keeping these things in mind, of course. What we've just read there, we'll put them together. So Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 says, as ye have therefore received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Notice in verse 7, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now, think about this. In Matthew, the opposition came in the form of winds and rain and floods, but the house was not moved because it was founded upon the rock, Jesus Christ. The tree faces many of the same hardships, if you think about it. What's going on here? 
Okay. The tree faces many of the same hardships. It's battling the elements, isn't it? It's the, it's the wind, it's the rain, and it's the floods. <laughs> so, so, what are those elements there to prove? It's there to prove that the house is built upon the solid foundation, which we cannot see. And it's there to prove that the ground is strong and the roots are deep when we cannot see them either. And when the storm hits, the tree remains standing firm. Now, putting these together, we see then in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, it says, as we've received Christ Jesus the Lord. And that's the first thing we need to do if we're going to be expecting to stand upon the rock and rooted within the solid ground. We need to be in Christ. We need to be saved. We need to throw ourselves upon him and say, please, Lord, save me. I'm a sinner and I need your salvation. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me and I believe that he has power over death, that he rose again on the third day and that if I come to him, he will take away my sin and I can be with him in heaven one day and walking with him now on earth. And that begins the walk, which continues on. And it says there, so walk ye in him. And if you think about that, as we walk in him, we think we're growing as a Christian. If you take that analogy and think of it as a tree, we're growing as a tree. And what happens when the tree grows? The roots go deeper into him, but the tree gets taller. And the tree actually suffers more trials as the tree gets taller, because it's more more body for the winds to hit it, right? So the bigger the tree gets, the stronger the burdens feel. But the more he's rooted, more, the more the tree is rooted and grounded in, in, in the foundation, right? And you, you see where I'm going with this. You see, as, we, as it, the, the um, wind hits, we grow more and we put our roots deeper into him. And if you think about that, we're reaching in faith and rooting our burdens to the ground, Right? So we're relying upon the solid ground to not allow us to be blown over in the storm. We're reaching deeper and deeper in him. And that faith in Christ, the burden bearer, causes to be anchored to solid ground. So that though when the winds blow, they might see the tree bending in the wind, but we're always going to come back and stand firm because we're rooted in Christ. Now let's put that imagery upon Psalm 55 verse 22. It says, Cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. So we could say that the burden is the wind that beats the tree and the floods that threaten it. The Lord is the solid ground that causes the believer never to be moved in the fierceness of the burden. And we are the tree anchoring our roots deep into Christ, relying wholly upon his stability to hold us in place and to sustain us through that burden. The tree that stands in the storm thus gives glory to the unseen foundation, to the firmness of the ground it's on, right? So even though the people looking on can't see what's going on underneath the ground, they see that something's going on underneath the surface remove Christ and we have uh, and we, we have nothing to put our roots into right we have no stability we fall 
we topple over the burden, but with Christ as he sustains us. The tree stands firm through the storm. So now we take that imagery and we put it upon ourselves. And we ask, what do we do when the storms rage? And we ask, what do we do when the burden is unbearable? And we ask, what do we do when our heart is breaking? What do we do when the body cannot take the pain anymore? What do we do when the clouds of depression overshadow us? What do we do when grief is too much for us to handle? Here's what we do. We take hold of that burden and we cast it wholly upon the Lord's. We receive his supernatural sustaining power in our lives and the world looks on and says, how is that Christian unmoved through that trial? And should they ask of us verbally, we have a wonderful testimony to tell them. We tell them our God has strong enough shoulders to bear our greatest burdens and he has a big enough heart to receive them all. Cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. So let's sing our last hymn.